another edition of Tipside Experts and a, a very special edition today because we've had the historic experience of the completion of the first ever biosecure test match, the first international cricket played post-pandemic um, behind closed doors test match. And it was a, a really interesting experience. So we're going to bring some of that insight to our listeners today. And as always, I'm joined by my colleagues from Western Australia, Tom Modi, former Sri Lanka coach, the former Sunrisers Hyderabad coach, and of course, Freddie Wilde, a little bit closer to us here in the UK. Gentlemen, good day and hello to you, Tom. Yeah, good evening, uh, Bish and, and Freddie, and to all our listeners, hello. Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly good to be back watching some cricket. I know, Bish, you in particular were there watching it live, but uh, it was great here in Australia to flick on the TV and, and to watch some live cricket. And wow, what a test match. I know we're going to touch on it, but what a way to start uh, our test cricket again. I yeah. love it when a coach gets excited, Freddie. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to echo what Mood said there. I mean, it was brilliant. After such a long wait, I guess there was a little bit of a danger that, you know, it could have been an anticlimactic one-sided test match, but it wasn't. It was um, from start to finish. It was um, it was a, a classic, really. Um, and I think it ended with a result that sets the series up brilliantly. And I'm sure, Bish, you'll have been delighted with the result. Yeah, it was, I have to be honest with you. I mean, uh, West Indies have very rarely been able to win in England. Um, just what twice in the last since 2000, so that's 20 years. So it was excellent. Um, a young-ish team, although they had more experience man-to-man for England. But I, I want to—I want—I don't want this to be about me too much. Tom, what, what exactly was the standout thing about having international cricket back again for you, as a player, former World Cup winner, and as a coach? What stood out most for you? You sound excited. Yeah, look, absolutely, I was excited. Uh, look, just to see, uh, particularly Test cricket, because it's so unique, and it, 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 when you have Test matches like we've just experienced, it reminds us all, why do we ever hope or think that the game needs to be one tampered with, with regards to four days against five days? This went to, was it about 5.30 on the fifth day? You know, it was just the the perfect masterpiece. Um, And secondly, just the the contest that Test cricket brings. Um, You know, as someone that's obviously played the game and is passionate about the game, to to watch a game ebb and flow like it did and have its little twists and turns, we we all knew that, uh, you know, because we know the nature and the history of the game, that it always had the potential to produce the unknown and the unexpected. Uh, as it turned out, the West Indies held firm. They showed enormous character, I thought, in that, in that uh, afternoon on day five to be able to hold firm and, and, and see that chase down. And that takes enormous resilience, enormous character uh, to be able to do that as a group. Um, and just to watch that play out just gives you that nice, warm fuzzy feeling because you know that it's not an easy task you know there's so many emotions going through not only the players on the field both on the batting and the fielding side but the players in the dressing room you know they're they're feeling every run that's being scored they're probably being told don't move from that seat we haven't lost a wicket in the last 30 minutes 
You're not allowed to move. Oh, look, I've got to go to the bathroom. You're not going to the bathroom. You're not moving. All those types of things play out, and it's 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 happened for you know for, for years and years and years in every dressing room. So to to, to have that happen again and and experience that just as a as a viewer, um, you wonder why I'm excited. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just to, to jump in there, I mean, one of the words you mentioned that was sort of unexpected and unknown. What I loved about <laughs> the return of cricket was watching something that we didn't know the result of. Everyone's seen a lot of old replays being played um, during lockdown. There's been a lot of sort of hypothetical chats. You know, who's your, we, we've recorded many podcasts talking about, you know, the best batsman in the world or whatever it might be. A lot of just sort of um, discussion, but actually just to sit back and watch something unfold where... We didn't know what was going to happen. And because of the nature of the game, and it did ebb and flow, England were ahead, then West Indies were ahead. It was, you know, a perfect way to sort of dive back into that, you know, unscripted drama. And, and it, um, yeah, it, it ticked all the boxes for the first Test match back, I thought. Yeah, I've sensed me because the hearts grow fonder. I thought the competitive levels for me of, of the two teams, we were very wary of no crowds how that would probably affect the players. We can come to that a little bit later down, but I just want to echo what you guys have said there. And just from a West Indies point of view, and the way they bowled, I think the bowling was the thing that, if you had asked me before the test match, and, and people did, and you guys, we discussed it, I could almost have predicted how well they would bowl. What I wasn't sure of was how well they would bat. I think the, that was the biggest question um, to me, because people probably overlook the fact that man for man, there was more experience in what we call a young West Indies batting lineup than England had, both in terms of age and test playing experience. So it was nice to see someone like a Blackwood, um, a Roston Chase, a Craig Brathwaite in the first innings stand up Shane Dorridge. Um, doing it. And then we saw young Zach Crawley from England. I thought he looked a million dollars in that second innings. Joffre Archer bowled the speed of light at times yesterday. So for me, all of that just brought back such great memories of why we love this game. Yeah, look, there, there were some, you know, particularly, you know, exciting individual performances. And what we didn't know going into this test match was how well the players were going to be prepared. And that, that, that to me was, uh, from a coaching perspective, the, the intriguing thing that, that I was very mindful of over the five days. Number one, physically, are the players in test match condition? You know, and a lot of people think, well, they're fit, they've been to the gym, they've had all this time to, you know, to rest and recover. But there's a very big difference between being fit to run around the outfield and to throw weights around in the gym and be on an exercise bike against running in and bowling 20 overs in the first innings and then backing it up 24 hours later mm. with another 20 plus overs. That's a very different experience for a wicketkeeper getting behind the stump, squatting every single ball for a long period of time, how they respond to that, how their hamstrings, their glutes, their back, all those things, you know, both keepers haven't had that long uh, keeping experience for a long time. Yes, they've done some keeping drills, but there's nothing like what you experience out in the middle, the running between the wickets, the concentration that's required for 
for both batsmen and bowlers. Um, and that's what I was very impressed with. There didn't seem to be any sort of um, concerns physically. Both teams seemed to be s- strong right to the fifth day, both physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. They were both yeah. engaged in the contest physically and mentally. Yeah. If anything, we saw some some very impressive mental battles. You know, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned Blackwood, for instance, Bish. Now, you know, he got out horribly in the first innings and could have easily have had an absolute shocker in the second innings trying to recover that position. Mm-hmm. But he showed great resilience and, and I thought mental strength to step up. He walked in when they were three for 27, or as they say in England, 27 for three. Mm-hmm. And... You know, so forget about the pressure of his own situation. He had uh, he had the, the, the game on the line. And uh, so just things like that, I thought, were special. We, we, we saw a spell from Jofra Archer. Now, a lot of, there was a lot of debate whether Broad should have played and should have Wood or Archer not played. But I think we all saw why Archer was playing. Um, and... I think the, any opposition that sees Archer on the bench, not in the final 11, are uh, extremely happy. Uh, I think as well, just, you know, I mean, sort of adding to what you're saying there, Moods, not only was it a good test match in terms of the fact that it was close and it ebbed and flowed and it went to the last day, but I think it was a high-quality test match. Mm-hmm. Um, both teams played well, I thought. I don't think... Um, England lost the game. I think West Indies won it, if that makes sense. You know, they were the better side, um, but England did ha- had periods of, of playing very well too. You know, Bish, you're right to mention Zach Crawley. That was a fantastic innings from a young player. Um, Joffre Archer bowled a brilliant spell. I thought Dom Best in the first innings bowled well. There were lots of good performances from the losing side and the winning side, um, which I think was just reflective of yeah, a high quality test match and a high intensity test match. And and as I'm sure we'll talk about over the, over the next half an hour or so, we probably weren't sure whether that would be the case. This is the first match or first full match back, if you like. They've obviously played games within their squads. And, and I don't think anyone quite knew how it was going to unfold. But from the very first morning, um, the West Indies were right on the money. Uh, and England battled hard with the bat. And it was immediately high intensity, high quality test cricket. And I think that's testament to the players and to the management and to the planning that they've all put in to get them to that point. Yeah, how dare we leave out Matt Shannon Gabriel for his nine wickets in the game. There was one point, I think it was the fourth sometime, where someone hit a ball to mid-on, and Blackwood actually ran past him, and he was closer to the ball, and I thought he was running out of gas there, and then he came back with that brilliant spell. So great credit, as Mood said, to the fitness and stamina of the players. The most profound thing, I wasn't there at the start of the, the game. I came in, I think, day three was the, the build-up of Sky Sports and what they had placed at the start with Ebony Rainford Brent talking about her experiences of, I suppose, discrimination coming through the system along with Michael Holding and how emotional they both got. And it was a, a rain curtail first day, which allowed beyond that, that was beautiful as I sat watching it, and I'm sure for millions of fans around the world. But what really compounded it was the interview that Ian Ward had with Michael Holding and Nasser Hussein and Ebony um, post that recorded interview. And particularly what Michael said 
and the exclamation point that he put on the whole concept of Black Lives Matter. It really moved me because I don't think anything else needs to be said ever again in a conversation when he was moved to tears later in the day in trying to do a crossover interview for Sky Sports. Michael is the toughest person that I know. Um, I don't know a harder man. And he spoke eloquently about the need for people to understand. And I totally concur with it, guys, and for our listeners. Um, it's not reverse racism. The, the point that I made was the Black Lives Matter organization, people have different concepts about it. So it seems as though it's becoming an impediment to some people. So I'm saying, forget about that. Let's forget about the organization and their philosophy, but look at the cause that they've illuminated and what other people are trying to illuminate. And let's listen to that. And again, we touched on it. It's not about trying to get a one-up on another race. It's about, look at the three of us, three different cultures, three different looking people from different backgrounds, and we get along just fine. So there are great people out there on both sides of the divide. Um, I just want to stress that the, why I like the West Indies win, you know why I like it, Tom and Freddie? Because at the end of all that I've said here, what I wanted to say on, on the middle of that test match is let's play ball. I'm tired of talking now. Let us play ball and let's see action in place. I've had enough of the conversations. I, I really have. Let's put things in place in coaching, in administration, in social life and civic life. And let's move on as we three have done over the weeks here as friends and as colleagues. So that's the exclamation point that I want to put on that. Yeah, no, well, it, it, it certainly from my point of view, you know, once I... Uh, once I saw uh, that piece that you're referring to, it, it really did have a, 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 a big impact on me. And as you know, Bish, I've done some uh, things with you uh, on the with the ICC with regards to you know Black Lives Matter, and um, and I think I mentioned on that particular podcast um, that it was down to education, and right. really to me that that was the, 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 the real foundation of what Mikey was saying in that, you know, let's don't, let's don't debate this. Let's just educate uh, us all. Um, and, he, you know, meaning it, there's no, you know, culture that we're discriminating against here. Let's, let's educate Correct. us all Correct. And, and move forward, you know, together, you know, stronger for understanding history better than what we we have done previously and that to me i thought he hit the nail on the head yeah i mean it, it was amazing that sort of morning um before the test match i, I guess you know, we're, we're lucky that it rained because we ended up seeing that and bish just before we jumped on air you were saying that ian ward told you that, you know that, that the rain allowed them to have the debate as they did and i think you know we're better off for that and i i i, I just sat down to start working on the test match um, you know, feeding my stats to Sky as I do, and 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 um, you know the rain started falling, and I was sort of pottering around on my laptop or whatever, and then this this piece came on, and sort of suddenly it, you, you sort of your attention just completely was transfixed on it, and put put down your work, and for for half an hour or so it was yeah as I said transfixed by that, it was a sort of moment where you thought whoa <laughs> this is something quite special, and and you know testament to Sky for for putting it on in the way that they did and allowing um, the debate to unfold as it did because I think you rarely see that. 
in a you know in any sort of debating sphere and 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 to sort of start a the first test match back after as we said 100 days without cricket for that to be the thing that we were talking about i think is just testament to the sort of power and reach of of the movement now um and it yeah it was an amazing half an hour and i think um this test match will be remembered as much almost for that as it will for the fact that it was the first biosecure game um you know it, it was an amazing moment I just want to just take us back then because many of our viewers and I'm thankful that, sorry, many of our listeners and I'm thankful for that will come from different backgrounds, different races, different ethnicities. So guys, I wonder if we could take, and I'll start this off by taking our listeners to the starting point for a West Indies team. Great credit to the ECB, to Sky, to Cricket West Indies, Jimmy Adams, Johnny Graves, Steve Elworthy, all of those guys. In the Caribbean, during lockdown, remember this, listeners, the borders in the Caribbean were closed. You couldn't get out of Trinidad. You couldn't get into Trinidad. Well, you probably could get out, but you couldn't get in. So there had to be a chartered aircraft that went at the starting point throughout several of the islands, not states, islands, overseas, to pick up each player in his territory, transit those players to Antigua and Barbuda, where everyone then was gathered to take a transatlantic flight from Antigua to Manchester Airport in the UK. All of that would have taken place under sanitized conditions. Once they landed in Manchester, they entered their, their biosecure bubble, meaning that they got in onto their transport bus. That would have been sanitized, cleaned. Um, they'd have their temperature checks on the way to Old Trafford and the hotel based at the ground. Great ground, Freddie. Tom, you would you know it as well. Fantastic mm. facility. Entering a two-week isolation um, where there were distance to some measure as a team from each other, there would have been games, golf, tennis, whatever, of course, video and television there to entertain them for that two weeks. So it was really a almost a secret service kind of start to the tour for them. So this is what listeners must understand. Within that whole concept, they were allowed to practice in those first two weeks of isolation, but wearing PPE gear, gloves, the bowlers weren't allowed to share a ball to bowl with. They each had their own ball. There would be hand sanitizers everywhere at those practice sessions. Uh, no doubt some of them would have had face masks on as well. No hugging, no high fives. Um, COVID tests every six days, swab tests, back of the throat, nasal swabs every six days. At lunch, they would be socially distanced, one person per table. Point out what food you're getting and you would collect the plate at the end. You're not going anywhere near the food because that's glassed away. Um, so all of those things were quite unique in those first two weeks. And Tom, as a coach, you'd appreciate the transition, because you said in a podcast earlier, you said you didn't think it would be a problem for the players. So far, you've been proved right. Yeah, look, to me, listening to that, and that's fascinating, that the, the actual detail that has gone in, and there's it, no surprise that that, that atten attention to detail is there for many, many reasons. But from a coaching perspective, uh, what the the thing that comes to my mind immediately is West Indies 
have had an opportunity through that unique journey to bond in an indirect way. So this chartered flight's gone around the Caribbean to pick up all the players. They gather together. They're all in the same boats, to, you know, to speak of. Um, and they're all having to do this quite unique experience together that no other sporting team has done in, well, a cricket team has done yet. Um, and to me, I think there's a sense of excitement and and togetherness there. That, that just brings a, a group together. And... You know, I'm sure that has played a role in preparing those players for what we saw in that first test match. Uh, look, the the practicing with gloves on, like you, you're a fast bowler, Bish, or you were a fast bowler. Um, I'm not sure how fast you are now, but <laughs> not very fast. <laughs> I'd like to face you now. Put it that way. Um, but just that that. The, the actual feel of the ball in your fingertips is so important to fast bowling, to swing bowling, to seam bowling, to getting any sort of sense of rhythm. You know, that's the, that's the final point after, you know, you, you're taking those strides in towards the crease to deliver a ball. And to have gloves on, you know, you've got to think of all the bowlers and how they must have felt in their preparation. It certainly... Looking at the test match, the way the West Indies bowled, it had very little effect. But it's it's quite a unique uh, experience. But I, I think that uniqueness has, has created a, quite a, a special bond. Freddie, before I come to you, I just want to just further consolidate this by saying after that two-week isolation, what I've been informed from within the team is that they had those two practice games <clears throat> amongst the intra squad and the players within the reserves and the team and they were allowed then to come together without much of the PPE the sanitizing was still the same though excellent from the ECB around the ground on the playing facility all the way through the hotel at Southampton so they played those two games with a relaxation uh, what was said was that finally there was an exhaling that they could come together closer as a family during those times and after that period of those two practice games, one of which was weather affected, they got onto their sanitized vehicles and they moved down to the next bubble in Southampton. That in itself was an eye-opener for, as a member of the media, to get there. Um, you're walking through the passageways of the hotel. The elevators are locked off. There's only one entrance. You have to go through the heat sensor machines to get into the entrance every time you come out the door get through the, the heat sensors. You've got a pass that has been digitalized. You've got to show that that's got to be read. Then you get permission to enter. So that was a daily routine. You've got to fill out an online form. Every morning, online forms have to be filled out. You've got no fever. You've got this. You've got that. That's recorded as well. So that was even slightly more upmarket, I suspect getting down to that bubble in Southampton compared to maybe slightly more what was done before. And, and you know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago when we had our, our podcast on COVID and how it might affect the game. And, and Bish, you made the point that you thought the fact that the West Indies arrived here earlier would help them um, sort of prepare for the series, I suppose. And at least my interpretation of that comment was largely focused on the sort of 
cricket preparation in the sense that they would have a lot of time in England, even just in the nets, playing middle practice. But you know, just listening to their to, to what you described, they they went through, I suppose, and moods. What you said around sort of bringing the team together. There's also, I think, an element there of just sort of camaraderie that that comes about as a result of of what they've gone through. So not only are they sort of prepared. Um, potentially better from a cricketing perspective because they've been here for a long time, but rarely will a team be together for such a long time and through and certainly not in those extraordinary circumstances that I think, as Mood said, it's almost like, you know, there's a the novelty factor is sort of something that brings you together in a sort of, you know, this is exciting. This is so new and, 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 and um, you know, what, what this, this is fascinating. And in a way, I think that, um, you know, it's almost impossible. I'm sure it is impossible to quantify, but but that's just really interesting to think that they're they're being brought together and better prepared both sort of psychologically and I think from a skills perspective and and that was borne out in in the quality of the cricket from from the West Indies. And I think the the cricket will owes Pakistan and West Indies the two visitors here, given the death toll, given the number of infections in England, a great debt of gratitude for turning up. Pakistan are here, West Indies have turned up and they really have turned up from what we saw in the test match um, for being here because from a broadcasting perspective, we haven't gotten a, a whole lot of opportunity to interact with the players. Um, their warm-ups, they would have gone through their warm-ups and their practice sessions at Southampton at the biosecure environment as the close to normal as they could amongst themselves. Um, the morning of the test match, everything was the same. Some players are still wearing gloves, some players are not. Um, there's no crowd, no, no spectators are allowed anywhere close to the facility. So the quietness of that is something that also took some getting accustomed to. There were mornings of the test match. One player, a good friend of mine, I was standing outside doing an interview and he walked past me about 15 yards away and he shouted, I'd love to come over and give you a hug, but I can't do anything about that. So it was so strange seeing guys, Tom and, and Freddie, and Tom, you would know as a guy who was coached people. If you're doing an interview and Justin Langer walks past, there'll be a shake of the hand and a greeting. Mm. There is not even any <clears throat> proximity of ever doing that so that in itself was so so strange and took some getting accustomed to it it, it would have done bish because you know from a commentary uh, point of view from a commentator's point of view you quite often use those mornings before play starts having casual chats with players with coaches with support staff um around issues that relate to the game um, sometimes they're very guarded conversations and sometimes, you know, as you know, Bish, you've got, you know, good trustworthy relationships. You get some really interesting insight, which you can then share um, in, a, in, in a way without, you know, sharing your source, so to speak, or throwing your source under the bus. Uh, so, you know, th those types of things are very different, I'd imagine. Um, and I, I just, it, it intrigues me and it'll be very interesting to, to hear the players over time to hear their thoughts on how it affected their mental preparation right. leading, leading into a day's play because quite often, 
you know, players uh, are motivated by the atmosphere of you know, the crowd building up and the roar as someone's jogging around the 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 outfield. It's like you know, you, you know, you've got certain players like in England, for instance, Ben Stokes is a is a superstar. In India, you've got Virat Kohli. Whenever they sort of walk around or jog past a crowd, they're mm. cheering their heroes. So there's mm. none of that. It's like playing on a village green. Um, so it'd be interesting to see whether that really had any effect uh, on their preparation. I think, as I said in the previous podcast when we talked about this, once play starts, I don't think it has any effect because I think the players are so focused on the contest, you could have 10 people there or 10,000 people that make no difference. It's their contest is against the ball, not against those 10,000 people. Um, and if it is against those 10,000 people, more often than not, they're not lasting in that environment. <laughs> and I mean, just, just one thing there, I mean, listening to Bish talk about how distant um, the media or the broadcast media to the players um, are that that is a huge change from what we know. I mean, um, you know, we'll all having worked in TV. No, you you get there very early, and and over the sort of two or three hours before the first ball, the the pitch itself becomes a hive of activity. You go from having you know one groundsman out there when you arrive and have your coffee. Two hours later, there are genuinely hundreds of people on the pitch. I mean, it's amazing how many people are there and milling around. And, and that sort of has, um, and, you know, Moods, you're right to bring up those conversations between uh, commentators and players and that sort of um, sharing of information is, is almost become second nature to sort of the build-up before a day's play or a game. Um, and, I mean, it, it made me think recently there was a, um, in the South Africa series, England-South Africa series in South Africa this winter, such is the crossover now between the media and the teams, um, Nasser Hussain was doing a, a, a demo, a sort of masterclass, if you like, with Ian Ward about how um, Rassi van der Dusen should play spin. I think he'd got out the evening before to spin. And Rassi was just able to walk over and watch this demonstration, which is amazing because, you know, Nasser was essentially sort of criticising him. But, you know, the, the quality of analysis nowadays on TV is such that the players are, are engaged with it. Um, and Rassi stood there and there's a great photo of NASA sort of um, doing a forward press with um, Rassi stood just behind him. And that sort of um, is almost the extreme of what we had before, which is this amazing crossover between media and players, such to the, to the point to which they're almost de facto coaches in a way. Um, and now, of course, they're completely separate, um, which, which must massively change the sort of, yeah, as Mood said, the psychology of, of just the, 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 the nature of the build up before the first ball. Um, but I do think, again, to agree with Moods, once the ball is in play and once they're up and running, there was no hint that anything was any different, really. And I think, Moods, you said that um, when, when we spoke before. Once, it, once the game begun, it was always going to resume it sort of on a high-intensity level. Some of these yeah. players are used to playing in front of no one anyway. I mean, look at these test yeah. matches in the UAE. You often, get, you often get more security guards than fans there. Um, you know, and that's you know that's what happened here. So you know, if they can play in front of no, no crowd before, it's not actually that much different in some circumstances. Well, that that means England need to look out for Pakistan because they're the experts. At it. <laughs> they have more practice than anyone. Practice than anyone in that in that situation. Something that that we should really talk about is the Bish. You mentioned you know we we all must be very grateful and thankful that. Uh, that both the West Indies and Pakistan have taken that uh, 
that step to, to to start cricket again in England, particularly given England has had, you know, its challenges with um, with the virus, uh, but also uh, the ECB for making it happen. Um, you know, they're they're, they're a, an organisation that has seriously stepped up and and delivered what we've seen so far, and you've given us some really interesting background to you know the detail that's gone on but what we what we need to appreciate is the the actual impact globally for our game that how important this is a success because of the financial side of not so much what's happening in England at the moment because I'd imagine it's going to be coming at quite a a, a cost to put everything into place but they're they're really the pioneers of uh, us you know, clawing our way out of COVID-19 and the financial uh, impact it's had on our game. Uh, Just to give you an example, for instance, uh, India have agreed to play four test matches in Australia come this summer in Australia over December, uh, January and some one-dayers. That in itself, if that doesn't go ahead, the, the, the television... Um, that, that that generates is 300 million. So if wow. if this is a complete fail in the UK, it's naturally going to have a, a domino effect on other series. And see that, see that think, number again for me. Uh, yeah, it's three zero zero million. My and, God. And so you can see how. I can imagine Cricket Australia and India, for that matter, and everyone's eyes will be very much on what happens uh, in England, not only from a cricketing point of view, but what happens with if 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 it does go pear shape and and there is a there is a uh, a a breakdown and virus does hit uh, the inner sanctum and and it all blows up in our face because that's gonna not only have an impact in England, but it's going to have an impact on our game for some time. Yeah, I mean, it, you mentioned that the sort of cost, short-term cost, I suppose, involved in getting something like this on. It, you know, just mentioning the numbers that you mentioned there, it pales into insignificance in comparison to what the game stands to lose if they can't get series on. And, and that's why um, I think listeners, you know, listening to, to Bish there, talking through the sort of amazing level of security if you like to get people into the ground they might be sitting there thinking oh this just seems a bit ridiculous but there's a huge huge amount of money at stake and in in money there is people's livelihoods at stake and that's why um the extent you know that's why they're going to the extent that they're going to um and and they're taking every possible precaution because you can't be too careful really because if something did um, break out as mood said in that inner sanctum and spread amongst the players it will, you know, not only is that the scrapping of a, of a cricket series, which we're all very interested in, that's the small level thing, really. The bigger mm. level thing is it's going to cost a huge amount of money, which is going to have huge knock-on effects for people all around the world, really. You know, mm. um, you know just, just thinking of, of the people involved in a, in a cricket broadcast, there are people, you know, we've all worked on crews, people come from all over the place, sound technicians, cameramen, all that kind of stuff that filters in, sponsors who have then poured money in. The, the, the um, sort of ramifications go on and on and on. Um, and that's why they've gone to such an extent to get these matches on. You, you add to, to what we've experienced as, as broadcasters. So your distance from the players to a large extent, as we've touched on before, we looked at the toss. There was this robot uh, 
cam that drove across the field as the toss took place. So there isn't a commentator out there, Modes, as we're accustomed to conducting that toss. The players are there. There might be an, an engineer out there, a floor manager with the microphones. They hand the microphone to the player who looks into the screen on this robotic piece of technology. He hears the question coming from whoever uh, the interviewer is and speaks directly into that screen. Yeah. Uh, when the players, and the players have been brilliant, let me just say this, Stuart Broad, Jason Holder, whoever it is, have been brilliant and frank in their discussions. There's a separate room next to the players' pavilion where the players go and sit into the big brother chair, as we're <laughs> all seeing on television. And he's asked the questions from the broadcast box. And the guys, again, to their credit, have been open and frank. So you're not getting anywhere near them in the commentary box as we've seen on television again. The first time I sat in the chair, I looked across to where my co-commentator was and it felt a little bit scary. He was that far away, social distancing. The scorer operates from home and he's talking to us from his home, Benedict in Bristol. Freddie, you are where you are feeding information to us. So there's no instant knocking of Freddie next to me or the scorer next to me and I'm asking him a question and he's talking back. You have to respond at a distance. Um, just where we, as I said, my room wasn't too far from the commentary box. So in between How stints, I could go back. How long fish? <laughs> <laughs> 30 seconds. So I'm sleeping 30 seconds down the road. Uh, I Bish, that's your dream wrapped up in one, isn't it? Hey, you, you can sleep in, sleep in, and then oh, say, roll out of bed and just fall into the commentary box. It's fantastic from that <laughs> point of view. Um, but also the whole concept of even little things that the ECB and Sky have done, and I'm sure other broadcasters and boards will do it. You're walking to the commentary box, there's an arrow down the corridor telling you to walk this side whoever is coming up you see a colleague coming up and it's almost like a nod of the head hi how you doing no shaking of hands no hugging he's walking down the other side of the arrow lines um it's like driving on a road so all of those things have taken some getting accustomed to broadcasting and commentating where there's no crowd noise but there's a feed of a hum which helps greatly but the rise and tone of your intonations has taken some getting accustomed to. And, and we've had these discussions among ourselves. When do you lift your pitch? When do you drop it? It took some getting accustomed to when boundaries of hit and wickets fell. So it's new for all of us as well. But I, a bunch of professionals, guys, that Mikey and Nasser and those guys have been around this thing for a long time. And I think the way that I sat and listened to the first couple of days it was just riveting television because of the action partly that took place on the field. Well, yeah. that, that, sorry, Freddie, that, that, at the end of the day, that, as we know, when it comes to sport, not just cricket, um, you, can, you can dress up things as much as you like, but it's the quality that's produced on the field of play is, is really the sell. And uh, what we were lucky enough to witness was some high-quality cricket that... Um, that was very well produced in very different uh, in a very different environment. 
Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the, the cricket itself, just, just one thing um, from a sort of analyst perspective that was interesting and we'll continue to monitor across the series is obviously saliva was banned or it has been banned in terms of shining the ball. We've seen players seeking to use sweat um, to shine the ball instead. And obviously we've got data as to how much the ball is swinging. Um, and we we're able to look at that and compare, I guess, this test match to, to previous test matches in England and, and see whether that has had an effect. And I think across the test match, we saw the new ball in the first innings for West Indies and then in the fourth innings uh, for England swing quite significantly. But once the ball did get older, um, the numbers suggest, I've had a look at sort of old ball swing, and this was one of the lowest degrees of swing seen in, in a test match in England um, since 2006. I think there were four or five test matches that saw less old ball swing. And obviously, it's a very small sample size. So we've got to wait and see um, on the effect of that. And another small point that might have influenced that is um, because of the fact that this was the first game played in quite some time, the square itself had fewer strips on it and it was a lot lusher. Mm. And I think that that's something too. Not only is the absence of saliva going to affect swing, but the absence of other pitches to scuff up the ball, that's certainly something that contributes to reverse swing. Dry, abrasive surfaces roughs up one side and we didn't see that quite as much. Um, as more games start to be played at venues in, in the COVID era, perhaps that will change. But... Um, just heading to Manchester, a, a small thought there is people often think there's quite a bit of reverse swing there because of the dry square. We might not see that um, because there are fewer strips in use. So that's just sort of one element of how um, the cricket itself was different. And it's something we'll have to monitor um, over the coming weeks. Um, but largely, I thought, aside from that, the cricket was, was mm. it looked and felt like test cricket. And, and as we said, mm. they, it was a high quality game. And I think that's what was, as Moose said, we were able to, once it, once it got underway, just sat back and enjoyed it because it was what, we all, what we'd all missed for so long. Bish, Bish, was there any reason why a few of the England bowlers had headbands? Like I, I, I was, try, I was trying to... <laughs> yeah, well, apart from the fashion statement, I, I was trying to get my head around, you know, are they trying to, because they can't use saliva, trying to capture sweat... In, in their headband so they can dab their fingers on their headband to shine the ball. I was trying to work out, you know, what was, is it a fashion statement or is there some strategy? Because I noticed they used it also in their practice matches. And not only Anderson, but I know Broad didn't play, but Broad had a headband on. I think a few of them had them on. So whether they're keeping their ears warm or what it, what it was, but, you know, did, did you hear I anything about I, it? I wonder if... To be honest, whether it was the fact that they were in all of them were in lockdown, they couldn't get their hair cut. So, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, <laughs> there was a discussion on it that I, I wasn't privy to because I was distracted at the time. But I seriously thought, wondered whether I mean, so many of them have long, longer hair now. I think they all do. We did a little piece where the hair from Sam Curran just flowing everywhere. Um, and I, I need to confirm that, but I just thought it was the fact that they couldn't get their hair cut. The one thing that stood out to me was. I discussed it yesterday when I met Carlos Brathwaite was, okay, Sundays were cool, but the guy that's sweating, really, the guy that's sweating is the bowler when he's active. And I was watching intently. The ball went through to the wicketkeeper for a lot of the guys. And of course, you've, you normally have got you've, your pointed ball shiner under normal circumstances. Yeah. And then the ball was still going to whoever that guy was at cover or mid-on. 
And I was thinking to myself, I'm looking at Gabriel, I'm looking at Anderson, they're bowling, they're sweating profusely. Why not get the ball back to that bowler immediately? Let him put sweat on the ball and then he could disperse it to Midon while he's walking back. Because Midon ain't sweating unless he's just chased six successive deliveries to the boundary edge. I didn't see that happen at all. So that was something that I wondered why it wasn't happening. Well, there was one great moment yesterday when Don Bess reached round and to sort of get some sweat off, off his lower back that he then put onto the ball. Um, you know, so that people are sort of finding creative ways to try and get some moisture from anywhere um, onto the ball to see if it, it will move. Um, and I guess it's just something we're going to have to, to, to monitor as the series progresses. Um, and it will be interesting as well because the Duke's ball moves more than the Kookaburra and the SG used elsewhere, as we've discussed in other podcasts. You know, this is probably less of a problem here uh, in England with the Duke's ball on the West Indies with the Duke's ball than it will be uh, uh, abroad. Although maybe, you know, it, I suppose in a lot of those countries, you might be able to sweat. It will probably be a fair bit hotter than it is here in the UK, which will produce a bit more sweat. But these are all the sort of new nuances and things we're going to have to get used to in, in the COVID era. I'm glad they've got plenty of that sanitizer around if, it, if, they're, if they're dragging sweat from their lower back and other parts of their body. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing as Freddie said that. I thought, my <laughs> God. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, seriously, that there are many things that it's a fluid situation that people are going to get accustomed to and have to find ways of doing things. Um, and just, just to stress on how good a job the organisers have done, uh, John Campbell got hit on the toe yesterday very early in his innings and he had to leave the field because it started bleeding as we saw live on television. And the protocols that would have had to be put in place if he had to leave the ground to get an X-ray, um, it would have been again sanitised vehicles, ensuring that all the way through that to that facility, that the facility there is alerted, that it's cleaned wherever whichever medical facility he goes to away from the ground, that he's not in contact with anyone who is not assured of doing the right things on his transport to and from the facility. So all of those great measures must have cost so much to put into place. It is astounding the level of work that has gone on behind the scenes to get this going. And the way the players have handled it. The quality of cricket that has been played, Tom and Freddie and to our listeners, has just been the icing on the cake for what we hope will continue. I don't know how other boards are going to do this, mind you. Sky, ECB, Cricket West Indies cost so much for Steve Elworthy and his crew to get the West Indies from where they were to here. Who else can do this and who else can go through the minute details to stitch this together on a continuous basis until we get rid of this virus. Well, well, I think I think the cricketing world's uh, grateful on many levels, which we've touched on, uh, for England and both Pakistan and the West Indies because they're creating a template um, yeah. for other, whether it be franchise cricket or other other boards to to host tests and, and, and one-dayers. Um, and there'll be things on that template that work and there's, te- there's things on that template that probably didn't work or a little bit excessive or, you know, that there'll be a way of, of, of bringing it together at a more cost-effective 
way right. as well. But I think England had to throw absolutely everything, everything at this to make sure, um, for the reasons that we've discussed here today, to make sure that this is a raging success. We're one test match down, Bish. We've got two to go in this series, um, mm. and let's hope that uh, it continues in this positive fashion. Yeah, um, completely. And I, I think, you know, how um, how other boards, you know, learn from what's happened here in England um, will be fascinating. And I think it's, in a way, you know, it's good that the ECB, who are one of the richer, more fortunate boards, um, you know, it's fallen now so that they are one of the ones who can sort of take it on. And hopefully, uh, you know, as you said, the lessons learned can be passed on to, to, to boards around the world to stage um, not only international cricket, but as you said, Moods, you know, the CPL is coming up, I'm sure that um, you know, the Caribbean Premier League will take many learnings from what's happened here in, in this test match um, and this series. And I suppose it helps if, if you like that that's Cricket West Indies and those, those communication channels should work well um, so that you know, cricket can continue to resume not only here, um, but, but all over the globe. Yeah, uh, nothing else needs to be said on that. Shout out to Joe the box and just wire you up at the change of commentary. He has now become an expert at sanitizing microphones at the change of every stint. Brilliant guy uh, for Sky Sports. I really feel sorry for him. He, he's been on his P's and Q's. But again, thank you very much for listening to our podcast. Yes, one test gone, two to come. Fascinating series set up. Prayers God that the players and everyone stay safe, that we can have a completion to this and a level of um, action on the field will go even higher. Thank you very much, Freddie, as always. Thank you very much, Tom. Freddie, the last word always goes to the youngest member of our <laughs> podcast. Well, I know, just, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And please do, if you enjoy the show, um, give us a review and a rating. Um, it helps helps us get more listens and get out there. It's, it's, we have good fun chatting, but we want as many people to enjoy listening to us as well. So please do share it with, with friends and family if you've enjoyed it. And thanks for listening.